Are you someone who enjoys a good glass of wine but is never sure just what to get? Indulge your inner enophile and take the guesswork out of wine by signing up for the National Review Wine Club. All of our wines are selected by a team with more than 150 years of collective experience buying, judging, and making wine. We weed through the thousands of wines out there to select the very best of the best and deliver it straight to your door, all at an unbeatable price. Not only that, the Wine Club is also a great way to support our valuable conservative journalism here at National Review. A portion of every order goes to helping us grow our team and editorial impact. And there's no time better than today. Our introductory special delivers four of our hand-selected wines straight to your door, for only $29.99. So head over to nationalreviewwineclub.com today and get ready to kick back with an exquisite bottle of wine in the comfort of your own home. Matt Gates makes his move. Donald Trump in court yet again, and Jamal Bowman's alarming behavior. We'll discuss all this and more on this edition of The Editors. I'm Rich Lowry, and I'm joined as always by Phil Klein, the sage of Authenticity Woods, Jim Garrity, and the notorious MBD, Michael Brandon Doherty. You are, of course, listening to a National View podcast. Our sponsors of this episode are Babel and Bethlehem College. More about both of them in due course. If for some reason you're not already following us on a streaming service, by the way, you can find us everywhere from Spotify to iTunes. And if you like what you hear here, please consider giving us a glowing five-star review on iTunes. If you don't like what you hear here, please forget I said anything. So, Jim Garrity, we are here. The moment I think everyone expected to arrive at at some point when Kevin McCarthy was wrangling the votes more than a dozen took more than a dozen ballots to get him the speakership one of the promises he made is one one member can offer a motion to vacate and Matt Gates pretty much uh, immediately after that maybe there's a, a brief honeymoon or honeymoon ish period began threatening to uh uh, be the the one member to offer the motion to vacate. McCarthy over the weekend went to Democrats to forestall a government shutdown, in part because Matt Gates and other recalcitrant members of the Republican caucus wouldn't vote for a Republican alternative spending measure to at least negotiate from. So McCarthy just had to go straight to Democrats to avoid a government shutdown that Republicans would have been blamed for. And Gates has immediately said uh, this past weekend on a Sunday show, I'm going to do this. Lo and behold, He's done it. The clock is ticking. He offered it last night. So there are two legislative days, so-called, before this has to go to a vote, maybe a vote as early as this afternoon, shortly after this uh, podcast will be in the can. So maybe it'll be overtaken by events. But I ask particularly momentous version of the usual question. What do you make of it? Rich, if uh, Matt Gates and his allies in the House Republicans had all cooperated in the passage of appropriations bills that would limit spending and prioritize uh, the sorts of issues that uh, Repo- conservatives had wanted and McCarthy had botched it, okay, well, then you'd have a reasonable case for the replacement of Kevin McCarthy. 
if House Republicans had been able to unify behind a continuing resolution in this most recent, uh, you know, government shutdown, impending shutdown fight. And they'd given him, you know, McCarthy the maximum leverage he could get, and McCarthy had then botched it. Well, then you'd have a reasonable argument for replacing Kevin McCarthy. Gates and his allies didn't do that either. Um, If there was a clear alternative, if there was somebody else in the House Republican caucus who 218 people would be happy to vote for, then there would be some argument to say, okay, McCarthy's had a shot. Maybe it's time to give somebody else there. But there is not. In fact, I don't think the Matt Gates and, and the critics of McCarthy, uh, the 21 or 22 who voted against him the first nine times, I'm not sure they have anybody they could unite behind to get 218 votes. Um, and if they had the votes for somebody, that, that would make sense. None of those are met. And oh, by the way, you know, Matt Gates has openly said this is, you know, if, if uh, that, you know, he, this effort to ditch McCarthy is likely to fail. He has also said that he knows it's likely to fail, it's going to fail, and that he's going to try to do it again anyway after it fails. What is the point of this? What, where, where, what is this, other than giving, you know, Gates attention, what is he supposed to, like, what, what are you trying to get out of this? Um, I mean, the argument, as we laid out in the House editorial, which I thought was excellent, was uh, that, you know, how dare Kevin McCarthy work with Democrats to pass a continuing resolution? And Matt Gates is so mad about this, he's going to work with Democrats in order to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Like, this is this blatant, ridiculous contradiction here. Um, the only two things I would add to this process is I would note that the, uh, the Matt Gates of the world and all the folks who are opposed to McCarthy generally represent some of the most heavily Republican districts in the country. Meaning that uh, as long as they survive the primary, they're getting reelected. The Democratic Party might as well not exist in their situation. Kevin McCarthy, he represents a fairly Republican district, but you know, in, in terms of the world he operates in, well, he operates in a world where the Democrats control the Senate and Joe Biden's in the White House. He's not going to be able to get everything you want. He's got very limited leverage. He's got to make the most of what he's got. We can argue about whether McCarthy's done the best possible job. I don't see any obvious alternative. I don't see... Oh, Tom Emmer would be, you know, we'd be so much better or something like that. I don't see anybody else in the House. Like, the problems of McCarthy are, by and large, problems of the circumstances. They're not necessarily problems of McCarthy himself. You put anybody else in that job, they're going to be facing the same circumstances. Um, So I I think this is pointless. I think this is a a needless distraction. I think this does a lot of good for Matt Gates and his fundraising and his cable hits. I don't think it does very much for conservatives or for Republicans or for the country as a whole. And, I, you know, I, Matt Gates allegedly wants to run for governor of Florida. He says he doesn't. He says he doesn't. he's not t- thinking about that, but that everybody in Florida is telling him he should run. Uh-huh, I believe that. Anyway, like, I suppose it's even easier to burn your bridges and alienate all of your colleagues if you don't plan on being in the House very long. Yeah, so MBD Gates here is the arsonist and the firefighter, right? Mm -hmm. Because one reason McCarthy has to go to Democrats, at least so quickly, he would have had to go to them eventually because um, Republicans don't control the the Senate or or the White House and have a very slender uh, majority. But the reason he had to go so quickly is because Gates and others wouldn't vote for any Republican alternative, as we just discussed. And now Gates is putting him in the position where he might have to go to Democrats to survive, right? I mean, there's speculation. I think McCarthy would just be dead if he did this, but speculation that he'll have to give Democrats some concessions to get get the present votes or the affirmative votes to keep him speaker to stay 
in that chair. And then when Gates talks about this possibility or is asked about this possibility, he's like, see, see, you know, that, that's, that's what McCarthy is. You know, he, he will finally just see, he'll finally just be exposed for what he's been all along. You know, this, this tool, the bipartisan blob or the Democrats in Washington, when Gates will be forcing him into this position. That's, that's exactly right. Right. Is that Gates is, I mean, it's McCarthy has gone to Gates and his crew over and over again to try to patch, you know, put this together, right? Like, I mean, they, they did this, what, 19 times at the beginning of the year? Um, so McCarthy wants to run a Republican conference with Republican votes, not with Democratic votes. He's clearly demonstrated that. Um, and, um, and, and so I don't know what Gates is really doing except you know, trying to run against Washington while participating in Washington, right? Like trying to, um, you know, deny that the, the swamp is on him, on himself. Um, if he's running for statewide office, I guess that's his prerogative, but it's not going to help Republicans. And I don't think most conservative Republicans are buying it, right? I mean, um, you've seen really strong speeches by guys like Tom McClintock uh, and others, like rock-ribbed, on the right, conservatives uh, established for decades, you know, just pointing out that if you don't have a plan, an alternative plan, right, you can't claim to be purer than the other guy, right? Like if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't have any practical plan, it's not working. And on a, you know, on a real note, McCarthy's been very effective for a quite conservative caucus. Um, of Republicans in these few months that he's been their leader. Um, and like Gates in effect is, is, you know, so determined to keep up this political dynamic in the intra Republican debate that he's denying the fact that Republicans have been achieving stuff in the minority. Um, not a ton, but you know, doing well for controlling one house of Congress. Yeah. So Phil, another perversity here is, they're, they're what? Maybe as we started record this morning here on Tuesday, three or so hard votes for McCarthy's motion among Republicans with another you know, three or four perhaps in the, the offing. So, you know, let's say it's six, six or seven, but McCarthy can only afford to lose four. But everyone else, presumably, at least at the beginning – of this process, where this process goes, uh, are going to be with them. So Gates is trying to leverage the Democratic caucus to thwart the will of the Republican caucus and in the name of ideological and partisan purity. It's just insane. But there's, um, and, and perhaps there'll be downside eventually to, to Gates if he falls flat in his, his face, but there's been no downside to him to, to this point. Um, running his political career this way. And just the, the nature, there always been kind of a wacky backbenchers on both sides in the House, always will be. But um, the ones that were really crazy had less influence than Matt Gates has had. And then the ones that were really good and sort of as famous as Matt Gates has made himself in the past were people like Jack Kemp. Oh, you know, here's this crazy guy from Buffalo, former football player who wants to cat, uh, cut tax rates and says that's the key to growth and that's what we should focus on a, on a party. What a crazy idea, you know? And then he he writes about the idea, he gives speeches about the idea, he bends people's arms about the ideas, and eventually the ideas become orthodoxy. That's what a backbencher should do. Paul Ryan 
you know, same thing with entitlement reform, but instead, in part, in large part, perhaps, because social media has changed the environment and changed the incentives, it's all about using the institution, not not to uh, um, let the institution form you, not to really try to change the institution, but to use it as a platform for fame and notoriety. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious what Gates's game is here. I mean, all you have to do is look at a photo somebody uh, snapped at the Capitol steps last night of Gates speaking, and he was surrounded by dozens of reporters, right? Like, we're talking mm-hmm. about Matt Gates, so that makes him excited. But I think that the, the issue is that it, there was a time, and there are cases in which there's basically no downside to being the rebel because even if you don't necessarily achieve actual gains, you could raise money and show that you're uh, a fighter of the, you know, you've taken on the establishment and so forth. Um, you know, similar issues such as the effort to sort of, you know, Ted Cruz's effort to defund. Obamacare and that led to a government shutdown. You could certainly think of a bunch of different scenarios in which the conservative movement was sort of rallied behind one person who was standing up to the establishment. But I yeah, think so ab- absent Donald Trump, it might be sorry to interrupt. It might be that T- Ted Cruz would have leveraged that moment into the the presidency or a, a presidential nomination. Yeah, absolutely, and and so. But it's not clear that this is playing out. It's not clear to me that McCarthy is the type of hate figure um, among the among a certain degree of the populist right that Boehner had become, for instance. Uh, McCarthy, I mean, we've criticized him uh, for us many of it, but he's kissed the ring of Trump. He's out there. I mean, just last week, he was basically acting as a Trump surrogate, talking about how DeSantis can't even touch Trump. He can't come close to him. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, that might have been good punditry, but uh, yeah, yeah, I take your point. (laughs) But he's not even in his league and this sort of stuff, but he's sort of gotten Trump on his side. He's done a lot of the sort of symbolic type of show votes that it have signaled that he's sort of um, given the populace what they want. He's on Ukraine. He hasn't taken the McConnell view, which is very much, we got to do whatever, you give Ukraine whatever they need to, to fight um, Putin and travel to Ukraine and all that. Um, McCarthy has tried to till the you know navigate the situation by saying things like we're not going to give Ukraine a blank check we need to have more accountability on the money spent not coming right out and saying we need to pull the plug but at the same time giving a bit more and so he's not really like a McConnell type figure in terms of how he's perceived by talk radio the, the sort of populist wing, the MAGA wing, Trump's not out there lobbing grenades at him. So I do wonder if this is going to just fail um, and Gates, it's just so transparent that Gates is going to really lose traction and he's not going to be welcomed as the sort of conservative stalwart fighting the good fight. 
Yeah, like a, a, a key straw in the wind for whether one of these uh, dissidents, a la Ted Cruz, during that, that shutdown over Obamacare funding is going to be a, a populist hero or not, or a hero to the grassroots is, where's Mark Levin? You know, is, is uh, our old friend Mark Levin, is he championing this person or is he uh, criticizing this person hammer and tongs? And it's the latter uh, with with Matt Gates. So Jim Garrity, exit question I asked last week. I forget whether you are on that ep or not. So whether you're on already on the record or not and have to adjust or not, if you're so inclined. But the exit question is, will Kevin McCarthy be Speaker of the House in six months, let's say? Yes or no? I'm not sure I was on that episode. My, my instinct is that efforts to ditch McCarthy will not succeed until there is a plausible alternative. You can't beat something with nothing. Um, I, I will point out that apparently, this is just coming across our, our company Slack here, uh, apparently McCarthy was asked this morning, you know, when somebody said, if five Republicans go with Democrats, then I'm out. And some reporter said, well, that looks likely. And McCarthy said, probably so, which is interesting. Uh, so maybe he's preparing to, you know, to uh, come up short of 218. Uh, we'll see how things shake out, but I, my attitude is until there's a unity candidate to replace him, McCarthy's going to stay there. MBD? Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've i started to think that Gates can, act, can actually force, force Republicans and Democrats to come up with a speaker together and for, for the rest of this term. And I, I don't know <laughs> how to play. I don't know. I don't know. I was just like, who else is going to want to run? Run as a clean Republican now. Like, who wants to run the conference if McCarthy can't after his relative success? I, 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 I don't know. Uh, no, I don't think he'll be speaker in six months. And um, he might be speaker in like three years again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll come back to him when they have a sufficient majority. Um that keeps enough gates on the sidelines, but now six months, I don't see it. Phil Klein. I, I think that McCarthy survives. Um, I ultimately don't think that because keep in mind for gates to win. It's not just that he needs to get some Democrats. He needs to basically get near nearly the entire democratic caucus to, to vote, to vacate. And, to me, as much as there might be some sort of um, joy in the idea of Republicans in total disarray and this chaos, at the end of the day, Democrats know uh, that McCarthy has been unwilling to blow things up. He's he's not uh, an arsonist. He will has certainly indulged uh, the the sort of MAGA movement, but. He cut a deal on the debt ceiling. He cut a deal on the government shutdown. Given where Biden's approval is right now, um, they may think, "Oh well, if if they if, if Republicans were in disarray and we get somebody else's speaker, um, it's going to be really bad for them." Uh, but do they want to risk that? A government shutdown um, might, you know, ha- could make Republicans look bad, but it also could make Biden look like he's not a leader. You, it's just sort of a wild card 
that I don't know if you want to introduce. I mean, McCarthy's the devil that they know. Um, so will there be some de Democrats would an AOC or an Ilhan Omar or a bunch of people maybe go along with Gates just to just for uh, the giggles? Um, yeah, probably. Will he get near unanimity among the Democrats um, to, to vacate McCarthy? I don't think so. So we, it was unanimous when I asked this a, a week ago that he would survive. I forget what the time frame was. It was uh, I changed. Was I changed. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know now. And I, I was part of that unanimous. Yeah, he'll still be there because there's not an alternative. And I, I thought that, you know, the, 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 the sand would be kind of uh, cu coming down slowly and the timer for, for McCarthy's speakership. And, you know, he, he, the longer it went, the, the more likely eventually something would get him. Here it might be, you know, that if, if he survives this, and I'd underline survive, it kind of immunizes him. And, you know, six months from now, he'll, he'll be fine. Um, but it's, it's tricky. I, I guess I say, yes, he survives based on some Democratic present votes or some absences. And then the question is, uh, at least initially, and the question is, it, will Gates follow through on his threat? He's followed through on his threat so far to just keep going, just to keep off offering this motion and see, you know, maybe there's just disgust with the whole, whole uh, process. And no one wants to hear from Gates again and McCarthy will kind of strengthen. Or maybe, you know, he shed some people um, on the Republican side or Democrats who weren't there, you know, for the, the first vote end up showing up or or uh, people get tired of it the other way. Just like McCarthy has to go. Um, and that, then what happens, right, is uh, we, we, there's nothing stopping McCarthy in theory from running again. But at that point, is he is he ever going to get, you know, this handful of Republicans who've gone to this extent? to oust him, you know, to, to vote for him. And then is he just gone? And then, you know, we say there's no alternative now, but maybe in that circumstance, usually someone wants to be Speaker of the House and it's Steve Scalise and, and he, he uh, you know, Republicans are exhausted and ready to turn turn the page and whoa, you know, boom, he's, he's Speaker. It's not, that scenario, I wouldn't rule it out. But I, I guess my bottom line is, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I think he survives in, initially here, but I'm really, I'm really not sure. With that... Let's go to our first sponsor of this episode, Babbel. What do you call a person who speaks three languages? Trilingual. Someone who speaks two? Bilingual. Someone who speaks one? American. Only 22% of Americans speak a language other than English at home. Start learning a new language this fall and be the exception, not the rule. Because with Babbel, you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Why Babbel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor... Or fooling yourself with language apps that are a little more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation based teaching. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel's better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester 
at college. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. And here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. You can get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com. Slash editors get fifty five percent off at babbel dot com slash editors spelled b a b b e l dot com slash editors rules and restrictions may apply. So MBD, we got Trump in a courtroom again. They are uh, blowing up his his company in New York uh, based on these fraud charges, and you know I, I think this is uh, a little like some of the other charges. Is he guilty? I mean, did he do this? Yes, of course he did this. He obviously inflated his his numbers. Even if you knew any nothing nothing about uh, his his business, and there was no evidence of this, if someone just told you Donald Trump was inflating his business records. Yes, yeah, of course he was. You know why wouldn't he inflate everything? Of course he would do that. And it's also not unknown in the real estate business to, to for for people to engage in what's called. Puffery and uh, a, a major incentive here for Trump was getting on the Forbes list. Of course, you know that's been reported. We've known that a long time, and also to get better terms on loans. Although you know he didn't default on these loans, there's been no victim among these big sophisticated bankers coming in and saying he, he ripped us off. And you know another case you can pro Trump case you can make in this this instance are kind of pro Trump. It's like everyone knew he was lying, right? So if if these if these big boys were, were going along, they it's because they they thought these loans would work out on on their end of the deal. So but you know he's guilty of it. But really, like if his name was Smith, he this would be happening? No, it wouldn't. So it's a combination of a, a guilty guy in the dock and a guy in the dock only because he's being singled out. Yeah, I mean, I go back to my clash of civilizations theory on this, this Trump litigation. Like, Trump was behaving as a man formed by the Borough of Queens, where everything you say is not literally true, but is sort of connected to the truth by a series of uh, exponential exaggerations. Um, and then Manhattan people were from an obsessively Dutch-based disgustingly literal civilization that takes everything that's written on paper as if it's the word of God. Wow, this is like the most anti-Dutch thing that's ever been said on this podcast. I'm just saying this explains this. This also explains the, his conflict with Robert Mueller. Is like basically like Robert Mueller is expecting him to speak like in sentences that correspond to truth and reality. And that's just not something that people from Queens do. Um, can, can we hold on a second? Are you really this anti-Dutch? I'm just really this pro-Queens. I'm pro-diversity. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I haven't seen uh, this much Dutch hatred. <laughs> I haven't seen this much since Austin Powers. Do <laughs> so um, you favor other boroughs, too, vis-a-vis -vis Manhattan, or is just Queens your favorite? Uh, Queens is my favorite, followed by Brooklyn, the, the borough of churches. But um, right. anyway, the um, this, is, this is, is ridiculous. You're exactly right. The reason these laws exist is that is so you can, if your uh, counterparty in the transaction, the the person who gave you money, can sue you, right? If you if you uh, if you begin uh, welshing on your payments, and then they can go back and say, oh, you exaggerated your uh, resources. Now we want to recoup everything or take other assets to try to recoup our losses. These laws do not really exist for the government to step in when the transaction went well 
and say, oh, this never should have happened. And we need to like somehow go into a time machine and deconstruct all of the wealth and institutions that were built upon the, you know, the agreement you made, whatever, you know, between a, a creditor and a debtor. It's, it's, it's totally absurd. Um, so, so MBD, what do we, what do we do with this? Because there's some, some folks on the right who look at, at this and the other prosecutions of Trump, you know, a leading candidate for, for his party's presidential nomination, obviously. And I would say some of the, the, the other indictments are obviously either totally unworthy or uh, the Alvin Bragg, or I would say at best ambiguous. And th- this kind of represents, you know, I don't know, a pre-revolutionary situation or, or a third world uh, situation where you have someone being targeted for prosecution based on his his political standing. So th- this is really the American system as we know, no, it doesn't really exist anymore if you have this happening. Yeah, I mean, it is... Um... <sighs> It reminds me, what is that 1980s movie with the little uh, creatures that spawn and gremlins? gremlins? Gremlins. It reminds me of the the, the investment advice in Gremlins. Like, I'm pushing all of my clients into canned food and shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, listen, this is not. This is. I, I kind of agree with the paranoid Republicans. This is not how we want business to be conducted. Uh, I wrote a column last week, basically saying. You know, there there are two things that should not be happening that are happening, which is a man under this many indictments, criminal indictments mm-hmm. for felonies, should not be running for president, should not be the front runner, and the president and his Justice Department and partisan, um, you know, attorneys general around the country should not be hounding him like the hound of hell and uh, trying to get him on the most ticky-tack stuff, you know, in this kind of fantasy that... They're going to find an exaggerated, you know, credit worthiness on a piece of paper and then put him yeah. uh, into the Hague. Um, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship the, the, between ex- uh, exactly this is uh, this is unworthy actors. Ex- so, this is exactly right, and so it's I I think this is a very dangerous moment, and I don't like I just severely doubt that we're going to march along through twenty twenty four like a normal presidential election. Uh, where it's just the votes that count. I think all of this lawfare, subterfuge, and then political framing of it is going to be crucially important. And, um, you know, this is the road toward, you know, a Latin American banana republic, um, if we keep going down it, which we seem determined to do. So, Phil, Trump went out of his way to be in the courtroom, get a recording Tuesday, yesterday, and obviously, I mean, he's genuinely angry and upset about this. That's true. But also, if the, the politics for him didn't work being seen at a defense table, he would not be seen at a defense table and said, we all saw the photo, not as iconic or uh, d- didn't blaze across social media the way the mugshot did. But still, it, it dominated the news. And this is one of the reasons that the Republican debates appear not really to matter. You know, the first one mattered um, so- somewhat. There is some shakeup among the uh, second-rank candidates with Nikki Haley getting, getting some spring in her step. But it appears from the early polling that this the second debate has had zero effect, just 
zero effect. And and one reason is just all, all this, I think, o- overwhelms the the normal or the quote-unquote normal Republican politics. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what the story is here uh, in a broader sense, which is that Trump, um, the, the essentially the, the solution that our system is supposed to have um, to a problem like Trump is simply that nobody wants to vote for him. Um, that after January 6th happens, given all of the baggage and all of his actions and statements, that people, that he has no hopes of getting a major party nomination, that he has no following at all. Um, but he is not only the runaway favorite uh, to win the Republican nomination, he's now ahead of uh, Biden in the presidential nomination, and even though polls at this point out don't mean much, they do at least show us that it's not crazy. It's certainly plausible. There's a, there's a decent chance that he could be president again, even after all that happens. And so what's happened is that Trump has p- presented us all with sort of a novel challenge. Um, and the unfortunate uh, thing is that a lot of people have been sort of stretching the boundaries of the law to try to target him and go after him. Um, and in response to that, um, it's just sort of confirmed a lot of his supporters' feelings about the the so-called deep state and how they're just out to get Trump, and Trump's the only person that could take take them on. And the reason why this benefits Trump is that we now have, there are, what, six different Trump cases uh, going on um, at the moment, if you include the various indictments, um, the the <clears throat> civil rape case, and then this case. Um, and so Trump... It, it benefits him to play up the flimsiest and weakest cases because he knows that to the average person, they're not going to you know, do the sort of work that Andy McCarthy does to um, you know, assess each individual case and each individual charge um, in a vacuum and to, to look at the merits and, and, uh, of each and the demerits of others, people aren't saying, well, um, the documents case is solid, even though this other case is a bit weak. So essentially he knows if he can focus on the cases that are the weakest and make a big stink out of it, that it reinforces the idea of, well, this is all just a political witch hunt and none of any of this has any merit at all. Um, knowing people aren't really going to see through the fog. Jim Gardy. I'm going to have a completely different response on two fronts. First being that uh, USA Today had done a study a few years ago. They went back and found out over three decades, right? So this is going back to the 1980s when Donald Trump kind of first became the celebrity real estate developer and media mogul. He's been involved in more than 4,000 lawsuits, Right, you know everything from branding and trademark cases to stuff going back to the Trump casinos, contract disputes, employment lawsuits, stuff relied to the club. 
uh, all kinds of taxes. He loved to file defamation or, you know, cases. Donald Trump has played fast and loose with the rules for a very long time. And a lot of times he could either settle out of court, he could wiggle off the hook, prosecutors decided it wasn't worth it, and largely he's managed to live the life he's wanted to live, wiggling off the hook or settling or paying to make the problems go away over and over and over again. And guess what? When you become president of the United States, you end up getting judged by a tougher and different standard. It becomes a lot harder to let it slide. It becomes a lot more difficult for any prosecutor to say, yeah, we got evidence of, crime, of wrongdoing here, uh, but we're going to let it go. We're, we're not going to bother with something like this when half the country or maybe even more than half the country wants to see this guy suffer every conceivable punishment. So, look, if Trump is in this mess, he's got no one to blame for himself. He knew the risks. He knew the circumstances. He knew every prosecutor in the country was looking to make their name by going after him. And he's like, you know, look at the, the way he's handled the, all the documents down at Mar-a-Lago. He's like Bob Menendez, you know, getting off the hook on a hung jury uh, or a jury that, that was deadlocked in, in that first corruption case and then turning around and keep doing the same thing. There, there's never, there's no change. Oh, wow, I dodged a bullet on that one. I guess I better change my ways. No, he doubles down and he finds himself in this circumstance. So that's problem number one. The problem number two is you just look at what Trump was saying. As, you know, he was fuming about it. He, oh, it's a scam. It's a sham. And he comes out of the courtroom for the day. Election interference. You know, this is what the next year is going to be. He's got five, four indictments, he's, you know, criminal cases he's fighting, separate from all these civil lawsuits. You know, he, he's going to spend the next year in, law, in, in courtrooms. None of that's going to be good for him. Now, am I going to say that it's impossible for him to win the way the brilliant and illustrious Andy McCarthy says? I got a few doubts. Biden's a really weak incumbent. And at, that, it's, it's, at that point, it's a, it's a coin, you know, coin toss. What do you want, America? Insanity or senility? Those are your options, unless, you know, no labels pulls a rabbit out of a hat or something like that. So, you know, is Trump probably getting unfairly targeted? Yeah, but he knew the risks and he went into this and he did it anyway. Secondly, this is an absolute disaster for Republicans, but they're hell-bent on continuing on this path, absolutely putting faith in the fact that Biden's senility will be enough to put them over the top. I mean, just imagine if you nominated, you know, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, anybody not crazy, Anybody who doesn't have huge unfavorables, anybody, you know, you look at the head-to-head numbers, Nikki Haley's, you know, kicking Biden's tush. But no, no, we can't have that. We got to go with the guy who's going to be the toughest to elect. So, next question to you, MBD, let's double barrel it. Donald Trump will be convicted of a felony sometime next year, whatever it is. Yes or no? Yes. Phil Klein? Yes. Jim Garrity? Yeah, and I'll go even further. I'll say it's uh, the one most likely is the Mar-a-Lago documents one. Yeah, so I think he'll, he'll probably wiggle out of the brag one. Um, assuming these trials take place or a couple of them take place, they'll, they'll, get them, they'll get them on something. So we all say yes. MBD, at some point next year, Donald Trump will be in jail. Yes or no? Yes. Oh, man. Phil yeah, the- <laughs> no, I, I'd say no, he's he's not going to be. I, I assume that even if he gets convicted, there will be various appeals and delays. And so I don't, I, I would be surprised if he's literally behind bars in, in 2024. Jim Garrity. I'm going to pull a Charlie Cook on this one. 
Uh, and for, that means first, and pause, not, pause, not, pause, not answer the question for like five seconds where everybody <laughs> thinks the podcast stopped playing. You've already blown your Charlie Cook thing because you, you didn't pause. Well, the first thing is one, two, three, <laughs> four, five. And then, Rich, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult to say. Uh, you know, um, and I love Charlie, the I, I tease and jest because he's so brilliant. I'll be honest, I don't know. I, I, I think he ends up getting you know, convicted, and I don't know where we go from there because it's really uncharted territory. Well, I when, don't. The, the guards fall asleep. The video cameras go out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that guy in uh, where was it? Pennsylvania cra- crab walks up the walls. <laughs> I mean, I, it would seem like a fitting end to the life and career of Donald Trump if his last act on the American life was as the next Richard Kimball, the wrongfully accused fugitive on the run from no, U.S. No, 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 no. Oh no, I was thinking much more like the Epstein thing. Mm-hmm. Asleep, guards asleep. Video oh, camera's no. not oh, working. Wow. You'd never do it. You never do it. <laughs> Just so you know. No, no, no. I'm not saying he would do it. Wait, are you saying? Oh, so, oh right. You're the saying Jeffrey would get him. He's going to be yeah. killed. Got You're it. saying Jeffrey yeah. Epstein killed himself? Uh, yeah, sorry, MVD. Just so the U.S. <laughs> just so the U.S. Secret <laughs> Service. <laughs> just so the U.S. Secret Service knows, Michael Brennan Doherty lives in Westchester County. You can knock on his door later this week. Um, I guess I'm with Phil. I mean, partly because it's just. It's literally un- unimaginable. So, so MBD, he's in jail. Then, then what happens in your scenario? Uh, I don't know. Like, um, probably some articles of secession. <laughs> uh, like, a um, bunch of states kick him off the ballot. Um, so, uh, so, can you kick someone off the ballot just because they're in jail? Uh, if if it's one of these cases related to ins- the insurrection. Those attorneys general are going to take up that theory in the Atlantic Monthly that, like, oh, that disqualifies a person from running for president. I, I do think, actually, a con- I, I agree with Michael. If there's a conviction, then I do think secretaries of state might start saying, ah, you know what? I don't think this guy qualifies for the ballot anymore. So let's let's triple barrel it. So MBD, percentage odds Donald Trump would win the election if he were in jail. Of w- which... So what was zero percent chance because he's jailed? A hundred percent chance because there's a rally around the. Uh, You're presuming there's there's the convict United, effect. Uh, how many states are in the United States of America in this situation? Um, I I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just could, maybe just say, could he win the presidency from jail? Yes or no? No, I don't. I I don't think he could. Um, no, I don't think he could, but I do think it will be nuts if he's running for president from jail. Like, I think it will, it will be, I think a huge number of Republicans will never accept the results of the next election, Mm -hmm. like in a way that will make 2020 look like Mm -hmm. a walk in the park. Yeah. Phil Phil Klein, could he win from jail? I think so. Um, the... Percentage odds, I'd say right now, if you told me he's not going to go in jail, things are going to continue along the um, current trajectory with these sort of trials out there, but procedural delays and they're just sort of floating out there with no resolution and Trump's able to say, this is all a problem, you know, this is all a witch hunt while more information comes up on the Biden family corruption, 
Biden declines, people are still upset about the economy um, and the um, the growing, you know, the, the accumulated effects of inflation during the Biden era. I'd say that right under those circumstances, it's sort of more of a coin flip election. If if he's in jail, um, that percentage goes down. But I, I still would say there's a 10 or 20 percent chance of, of mm-hmm. Trump winning from jail. Jim, could Trump win from jail? No, but I just want to echo what Michael said. January 6th was bad, but we could have it worse next time. And I do right now feel like we're kind of on that path um, because I think once Trump supporters, well, if once he loses twice and once they conclude that the country's never electing their guy or the election was stolen twice in a row, um, they'll want to burn the system down. And I think you get January 6th in state capitals. I think you get people putting pipe bombs on each other's doorsteps. I think it get, could get really, really bad. If he's in jail on, tr- on junky charges that never would have been brought, I mean, that's... That is a disaster, but it's also one that was foreseeable and one that Democrats will have been responsible for creating themselves. And and again, to my earlier point, the founders didn't anticipate the idea of what happens if somebody's elected from jail uh, because the assumption was, you know, the political system in a, a situation of elected leaders, um, the people would never be elected from jail. So it it wasn't even something that they took into consideration. Um, And so if it actually happens, there's no real rule of of what, you know, of there's no real precedent we could draw or nothing we could really draw on to say what happens, how how that spills out. Um, so could so could Trump win from jail? I'm gonna also say yes. Uh, it would hurt his campaign. <laughs> there, be a it is less than ideal. It is, yeah, there'd yeah. be a non-zero chance that he could win from jail, especially non-zero. you know, depends a lot would depend on the state of the economy. But um, I, I think MBD a little bit of the the opposite. You know, it's not like Alabama would secede. I mean, every single every single person who had had the slightest uh, tinglings of sympathy for Donald Trump would turn out the vote. The, the, the Trump turnout would be massive, just huge. And, and maybe that wouldn't be enough to overcome independents who are turned off by the fact that he's in jail. But, you know, it, I think polling now um, by, you know, among independents, they, they think he's guilty of stuff, and then they think the charges are political. And as no, we're talking about, at least in the financial case, that's right. That's exactly right. So which way do they tip? Uh, I I don't know. It's crazy because the polls basically, like, there was a joke on Twitter, which I think absolutely captured it, which is like, if you poll the American people, it's like, will Donald Trump spend an eternity in hellfire for his manifest sins and wicked ways? People are like, 95%, yes. Should he be the next president? I don't know, 50%? 50%, Sure, maybe. Like, yeah, hard to know how that ball bounces, but, um, yeah, impossible to know. I, I mean, I think... I mean, you will have so much discussion about what it means to even have a presidential candidate that's in the slammer. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you know, does he, <laughs> does the White House, like, uh, staff get visitation rights? You know, mm-hmm. in, uh, none as of long it, as he has his truth social account, he could govern. 
You could cuff him from jail. None of, well, yeah, but the thing, none of it makes sense. Like, I mean, people will be trying to, like, break him out. I mean, it, it, will, yeah. be, <laughs> it will be nuts. It will be so nuts. All right. So with, with that, let's go to our second sponsor of this episode, Bethlehem College, where students study the great books in light of the greatest book for the sake of the Great Commission. Trajectories of life are being set for young men and women in the pivotal period between ages 18 and 25. At Bethlehem College, students wrestle with these realities not in a 200-person classroom, but in a 200-person college. Bethlehem College is not a Bible college, but everything in the academic program is saturated with the Bible. The school's chancellor, John Piper, said recently that when he looked at the upcoming generations of students, he observed that their God is too small and their reading is too passive. So Bethlehem's aims are to train students in assiduous attentiveness in all their reading, whether reading their Bible or whether they are reading the world. Bethlehem calls this approach education in serious joy and delivers at a price that ranks as one of the lowest tuition rates in American Christian higher education, only about $7,500 a year. Bethlehem College education in serious joy. To apply or request more information, visit BCS mn.edu slash editors. That's bcmn.edu slash editors. And we all know the state of higher education almost everywhere. So if you have a son or daughter or anyone you know or yourself for considering a college, please check Bethlehem College out. So We've gone a little long with all the discussion of uh, the, the, the Trump, uh, <laughs> Trump scenarios with his interaction with the legal system. So let's, let's try to be a little quicker here. But Phil, we've got a major scandal going on Capitol Hill. Jamal Bowman pulls a fire alarm like a drunk freshman outside his dorm at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night. He says, oh, you know, there's this door locked. I was rushing to get to this vote. This vote, by the way, that uh, Democrats were desperate to delay because um, I I think McCarthy did what he had to do in terms of avoiding the shutdown. But what the process was as terrible as it always is, you know, a a big consequential bill, even though it's just 45 days, still you want to know what's in it, given to members with zero notice. Democrats were trying to figure out what was in it, if there are any trick bags there, and whether they should support it or not, and wanted to delay. And lo and behold, uh, Bowman pulls this fire alarm that leads to the evacuation of a house building. He claims, look, I, this door was locked. You know, usually you can you can get through this, this door. So I, I thought just pulling this little thing here, this little thingy on the wall, I, that, that would magically open the door. What do you make of it? I mean, it's obviously ridiculous. Uh, Jamal Bowman is a literate adult who happened to have been a school principal before. Um, He should know that if you pull something on the wall marked fire alarm, uh, that it's going to sound a fire alarm. And this whole idea that there was, he was confused by another sign, which somehow he was holding in his hand, um, which applied to the door and wasn't terribly confusing uh, at all. Um, they're just trying to make it like it's some weird mistake. Now, I, I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, what he was trying to do, um, but um, not only is the, the, the event itself crazy, but the um, subsequent attempts, his, his office sent out a messaging document to 
fellow Democrats to defend him by saying that Republicans needed to police all their Nazi members. Um, and then when that didn't go over well, he then put out another statement saying he wasn't aware of this messaging guidance and didn't approve the use of the term Nazi. Uh, so the whole thing has just been an extended uh, example of gaslighting. Um, whether you know you don't approve what was going on in his head that he literally was, I want to delay this vote, so I'm going to you know pull the fire alarm, but. I mean, the idea that you were somehow confused and you were racing to a vote so you pull a fire alarm um, is just, it's just not a plausible explanation. Yeah, someone else uh, pointed out that you, you could go, you can go through the underground tunnels and maybe it's two minutes longer, but uh, you, 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 your first expedient would not be pulling a fire alarm. So Jim, on the other side of the ledger, there's some of our friends on the right. It's like, look, this is January 6th. He should be treated like a January 6th rioter. And I, I think this this is bad. It's a breach of decorum and institutional norms, if there are such things anymore. By the way, there there are. You know, the Senate proved there, there are and, and that it backed off uh, accommodating John Fetterman uh, looking like a uh, he was wearing a, a trash bag uh, on the Senate floor and went, went back to the, the rule you have to wear. Um, business attire, but um, th th this is not, you know, it's not the same as the guy with Viking horns sh showing up and, you know, st stealing the, the podium from the House floor after breaking through uh, the, the uh, um, police perimeter and sm smashing doors and windows or whatever. But it was, in my mind, it, you know, it doesn't deserve expulsion the way Republicans are talking about. It certainly deserves a censure. Yeah. Uh, today's morning jolt is all about all the different ways we've seen members of Congress insisting the rules apply to you, but they don't apply to me. I'm glad Fetterman is back to wearing a suit when he's on the floor of the Senate. It, whatever you think of that, it didn't make any sense for Fetterman to be free to not wear a suit. But the Senate staffers, pages, and uh, all visitors to the Senate chamber must be dressed appropriately. Like, why would we not have, like, why would senators be exempt from this rule, but everybody else in the building has those rules? Uh, as for Bowman, I, look, this is a lie. This is straight up a lie. You're, you're, nobody believes that the high school principal didn't know what it was going to do. There's something in his hand. So, somebody was saying that that's this, what's in his hand is the sign saying, uh, you know, this is a fire alarm. But, you know, so his claim, oh, I, I just didn't know. And then a subsequent explanation that he didn't know what a fire alarm was and what it does and that his staff didn't understand what Nazis were. Um, if I, I, I will say there are two options. Either he's lying and he deserves to be censured for that or – he genuinely, he and his staff are too dumb to know what fire alarms and Nazis are. And if that's the case, you should not have any role in creating the country's laws. Uh, I just want to, like, pulling a fire alarm falsely is against the law, right? You get a crime. Like, like, you know, D.C. law, federal law, both of those cases. So the idea that he should just kind of walk away scot-free when anybody else in that circumstance would probably be facing uh, legal charges doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something. You know, so, yeah, I think censure would be perfectly fine. Uh, but honest to good, like, you know, does anybody think he's going to even, you know, have, have a whiff of criminal charges go against him? Probably not. No. Even though I assume uh, yeah. this is either it's either in pictures or on video. Yeah. So, MBD, let's go to something else on the Democratic side of the aisle. We get the replacement, at least for now, for Diane Feinstein, appointed by Gavin Newsom, N not a resident of California. You know, details, details. But more importantly. A, a representative of every single most important Democratic uh, special interest group, especially 
the pro-abortion lobby? Yeah, I mean, this was, it's interesting in a lot of ways because uh, LaFonce Butler is not on, was not been on the shortlist. People have thought that when Dianne Feinstein retires, you know, Adam, you know, somehow Adam Schiff is going to get this seat, um, maybe as a reward for his, you know, ridiculous histrionics in the Russiagate stuff. But instead, Gavin Newsom picks LaFonza Butler, who I think was head of Emily's list. Um, and, you know, this is like picking someone who's at the very beating heart of big money Democratic donors and putting them uh, in the seat. I, it's going to make her hard to beat. It's going to make her hard to beat, too, because, um, you know, like Democratic thought now, like Xi Jinping thought, Democratic thought now requires that open offices go to women of color. So now if Adam Schiff wants to run for that seat, he has to have -hmm. a reason why a white man should replace a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Um, yet another incentive to become non-binary, right? It's, uh, it's, it's very bizarre. Um, you know, what we're going to see though is that, you know, I think the, the big cash out of this is it moves the Senate to the left. I mean, it like, it, Dianne Feinstein, you know, was a stalwart liberal champion of gun control and other other issues dear to many Democrats. But I mean, she was basically a bridge from the insanity yeah. of late 1960s San Francisco politics, which was like about Jim Jones and Harvey Milk and suicide and, um, you know, cults behavior to... You know, she bridges there from mayor and then as senator to um, the time we're in now. Uh, And she was an institutionalist, right? She was against packing the court. She was against uh, a lot of the faddish ideas for revising our constitutional order on the left. I don't know if willing to slap slap down snot nosed kids is necessary. Right. I don't know if Lafonza Butler will be any of those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, to me, that's the biggest takeaway. All right. So, Jim Gary, let's go to exit question. Another development on the Democratic side, or at least the formerly Democratic side, RFK Jr. is going to run as an independent. You know, all sorts of questions about how potent this this would be, you know, their ballot, ballot access questions always, et cetera. But all things being equal, would RFK hurt, will RFK, I guess we should say, hurt Trump or Biden more? Trump. Slightly. I don't think we should overstate this. I think the number of diehard Robert F. Kennedy fans were uh, is probably pretty small in the context of the overall electorate, even in the context of particular states. Could he play spoiler? Sure. Um, but really, like a vote for Robert F. Kennedy is over Trump or Biden is like looking for the most outsider, anti-establishment mm-hmm. candidate you can uh, establishment candidate you can find. And Robert F. Kennedy is one of the few people who can make Trump look establishment. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it'll be you know a couple, you know ten thousand votes here, ten thousand votes there, which you know maybe it'll be the margin in some states. Phil Klein, um, I don't think it would very make much of a difference or hurt Trump because. The, the to the extent that RFK Jr. has Trump friendly supporters, it's basically um, people that like his 
challenging of the elites and the establishment and so forth. And you basically, there, um, there might, most of those people who are pro-Trump and inclined to vote for Trump um, are just going to vote for Trump if Trump's on the ballot. So they're not going to vote for RFK Jr. over Trump. I mean, there might be a small number of people who are just either on the left who are so left-wing or on the right who are so anti-vax and they won't forgive Trump for Operation Warp Speed. Um, But those people probably, for the most part, wouldn't be voting anyway if it's a Trump versus Biden race. So I don't think that it makes much of a difference. If I were Joe Biden, um, I would be more worried about uh, Cornel West um, and what he could do in, in basically absorbing some progressive voters than I would be with RFK Jr. Remedy. I think it hurts Trump. Um, I think there is a vote. If Trump is the nominee, I think there there is a voter um, who... Might be turned off by him being in jail. It's like, I'm going to go with the free anti No. Well, no. But the, I think there's a voter that still wants to vote against Anthony Fauci in mm-hmm. 2024. And the way to do that will be RFK, not Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not, not going to nominate DeSantis, then, you know, I think a lot of those people who, like, their sole issue was, oh, my God, my liberty was taken away for, like, a year and a half or two years or more. My job was threatened. And I have no one to punish in the next election. Mm -hmm. The only way to punish someone is to vote for RFK Jr. Um, And I don't know. He has has a nostalgia quality with the Kennedy name and some of the more trial lawyer style liberalism uh, that I think uh, has an underrated appeal um, in in the era of technocratic liberalism. Um, And... Yeah, I, I, and also I think if it even looks like it hurts Trump, he's going to get more media coverage. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, point. Um, so I, I agree. I, I I take Phil's point, but I'm more with Jim and MBD. I think at the margins he'll he'll hurt Trump, not not a ton, but at the margins. With that, let me do a quick plug for NR Plus Digital Subscription Services, NationalReview.com. Your way around. Our metered paywall, your way. If you sign up and log in to see 90% fewer ads, your way. If you want to, to get deeper into the National Review community by commenting, by in, being invited to exclusive calls and events. So it's a great deal all around. And most importantly, it's a really crucial way to support our valuable journalism. We need people not to pay a lot, but pay a little bit for the content they read at NR. So if you're not already, please, please at least consider joining tens of thousands of your fellow National Review readers as a member of NR+. So let's hit a few other things before we go. MBD, you're picking up the book Always With Honor. Yeah, um, Tucker Carlson hyped this book in a recent speech. It's by uh, Peter Rangel, who was a leader of the Whites in the Russian Revolution, uh, and sort of his memoirs and documenting the, the the kind of craziness that was besetting Russia and the the um, the way in which the upper classes seem to sympathize with the Reds and the middle classes seem to be totally ignorant of 
what was happening to their country uh, on a fundamental level. Um, but he could see very clearly that the Reds meant to destroy everything. And um, it's really gripping reading. Uh, and it goes along with some other books I've read recently on the Russian Revolution. Uh, it gives it a lot of color. So, Phil Klein, you've been watching early Fellini movies to be distinguished from late and middle Fellini movies. Yeah. I mean, Fellini had an interesting trajectory. And as he got older as a filmmaker, a lot of his movies became kind of a bit too whimsical. Uh, he was always known as as a filmmaker that could sort of evoke a sort of dreamlike feel. But his later works just kind of went too overboard in that direction. But if you look at his early works, it just shows that if he wanted to be a fairly conventional great filmmaker, he could have... Um, he could have just done that. And I, I watched um, Ivitaloni um, and Knights of Kiberia, and they were both just wonderful, really great movies where it shows the promise of Fellini, but also um, a lot more restraint than his later works. So I recently experienced for the first time the Alpha Toilet it's, uh, I was in a hotel in D.C., and it's this toilet, like this uh, postmodern toilet with, with all these uh, buttons on this remote control on, on the side that, that you, you just you have no idea what, what you're supposed to do with this thing. I, c I couldn't figure out initially how to flush it, and I needed to because I, I was on the train, and I, uh, one of the reasons I don't like Amtrak is for the longest time, you're on the train and they only had Pepsi. So I, I go up to the cafe car and I'm like, um, you know, could I, could I have a Pepsi, please? And, and the lady there, maybe she was having a bad day, but she's like, we, 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 don't, we don't have Pepsi. We only have the things that are, that are up in this, this long, long menu on the side. So, oh, so, great. You don't have Pepsi. Thank God. I hate Pepsi. I was like, okay, so I'll take a regular Coke. And she's like, I was like, do you have a regular Coke? She's like, no, uh, we, we, sir, we only have the things that are up on the menu. So I was like, oh, wait, you have no cola whatsoever? We only have the things that are up on the menu. And then she points, you know, there, there is Coke on the menu. So I was like, oh, great, great. I'll, I'll have a Coke and peanuts. Do you have peanuts? Only the things that are up on the menu, sir. I was like, so, so you don't have peanuts. Only the things that are up on the menu. So finally, I, I you know looked at the menu and I saw popcorn. Pop, so, I, so I got some popcorn. But anyway, I drank this Coke. So I, I ran to the hotel uh, afterwards, and um, I, I just couldn't figure out how to flush this thing. There's like a seat warmer, you know. There's there's a, a range you can make it, you know, slightly warm or like extremely hot. And and you know, I just um, uh, urinated and just need to flush the thing, and I I couldn't couldn't figure it out. But Rob Long once described to me, uh, he's kind of a connoisseur of toilets, these toilets they have in Jap Japan that are just so so fancy and so incredibly modern. And um, I guess they've finally gotten here. But more important news, Sarah, you have a key juncture coming up in your flying career. Yeah, I do. Also, did Jim give us his light item? I skipped him. We'll, we'll come oh, back to him. No. Jim, we'll, we'll so come sorry. to him. That's I mean, my who can host prerogative? Who I was can too follow, excited to talk about the alpha alpha toilet. Who can follow <laughs> the toilet story? 
Um, yes, I do. I um, I apologize for any background noise too. I'm currently living in the middle of a construction zone, and as incomparable as I am, I can't cut that <laughs> noise out. Um, yes. So tomorrow, I am taking my uh, check ride, which is my big kind of final exam per se for to get my private pilot's license. So it's a very long, very intense exam, and I'm very much praying that I pass the first time because I don't really have time to retake it again right now, but we'll see how oh, it goes. Awesome. Good luck. It sounds like you're at the airfield right right now. <laughs> so Jim, <laughs> if you want to go with some anticlimactic item that you, that you have, feel, feel free. Well, look, usually when we were going to discuss toilets on this program, it was usually me bringing up the Jets anyway. Um, <laughs> well no, done. look, Sunday night's game was actually genuinely thrilling. And for those who don't follow football, uh, it was a sideshow to the attendance of Taylor Swift. Uh, NBC made sure we got to see Taylor Swift 11 times during the game, occasionally intermittently interrupting the coverage of Taylor Swift to show us a little bit of what was going on on the field. Uh, look, Zach Wilson, um, who looks like he's about 12, went to BYU, came in, second pick. This is where Charlie would say, yes, he was picked right after uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, that basically uh, Zach Wilson came has been looked enormously uh, overrated. He's generally been pretty bad. Occasional flashes of brilliance, but generally he's looked bad. He's up against the defending Super Bowl champs. He's played lousy. Everybody expecting him to go out and just lay an egg uh, with the whole country and Taylor Swift watching. Had a lousy first quarter, no getting around that. But all of a sudden he became alive and, and he actually outplayed Patrick Mahomes. He threw two touchdowns, didn't throw any reception. Yeah, had a bad fumble in the fourth quarter. You can make an argue that that was a factor in the loss along with some terrible calls by the referees. Uh, but all in all, you had this kid who everybody had given up on. He goes out there and he plays the game of his life. And I think that's one of the reasons like, we enjoy watching live sports because you never really know what's going to happen. And every once in a while, somebody's going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. Would have been nice to see the Jets win, but honestly, losing 23-20 to 20 to the defending Super Bowl champs uh, with all the pressure in the world is really not the worst outcome. And with terrible imagine. calls, too. Yes. I mean, it took terrible calls for the defending Super Bowl champs to beat the Jets by three. So, Jim Garrity, extra special bonus exit question to you first. At the end of the NFL season, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey will still be dating, yes or no? Yes, they will be at least. And by the way, I think Kansas City's got a decent shot at winning the Super Bowl again. I think it will, the, you know, uh, she, right afterwards, she will come out and do a cover of I'm going to Kansas City, the old jazz standard. <laughs> but inevitably, you know, they're going to break up because this you know, tends to happen and she will release a new huge pop anthem entitled This Ain't It, Chief. <laughs> so I, I, just, I hate to disagree with you, Jim, but I do not think they'll still be dating at the end of this season. So with that, it's time for Editor's Picks. MBD! What's your pick? My pick is a piece by Henry Olson today. Matt Gage should be careful what he wishes for. Just explaining the real dynamics uh, that happen in a uh, very tight majority uh, and one that is as conservative as this one is. Phil Klein? Um, I'm going to pick Andy McCarthy's. We talked a bit about the uh, Trump civil fraud trial, um, but Andy McCarthy's piece with Trump already found guilty. His New York fraud trial begins. It, it really takes you through um, a bit more of the details of what's what's happening there. Jim Garrity. Well, I piggybacked on Dan McLaughlin's column for today's Morning Jolt, so I really should give it credit. What is wrong with the people in Congress? 
I forgive you if you expected this to be a much longer article, because there's a lot wrong with them, that this could even be a you know series of articles or an encyclopedia. But Dan just kind of goes through example after example, Bob Menendez, Jamal Bowman, Lauren Boebert, Republicans and Democrats, and just kind of observes that whatever minimal standard there was for public behavior in Congress, uh, it's, it's just the bottom has fallen out, and there's just this utter shamelessness, and that uh, all of these people deserve to be voted out and replaced. So my pick is Yuval Levin's corner post in the immediate aftermath of the McCarthy vote to avert the shutdown, where he, um, as usual, made extremely astute and subtle points. One, McCarthy's speakership was truly in danger, which... Um, if that wasn't obvious at the time, it's, we sure know it now that Ukraine funding, this this wasn't just sort of a, a temporary expedient not to include the Ukraine funding in the the bill. It's a sign that uh, uh, the tide is, has really turned in Congress against, uh, most importantly, uh, most notably in the Republican caucus. But the tide has turned against uh, continuing Ukraine funding at the levels we've seen, which is extremely significant development. And also which has been lost in the McCarthy drama, is that Mitch McConnell wanted to include the Ukraine funding in the, uh, a Republican, in a Senate version, and jam the House with that version and failed. Couldn't convince his caucus, couldn't even convince members of his own leadership team, which is a sign that uh, McConnell's power, after a really long, long run, may, uh, beginning, may be beginning to ebb within his own caucus. So that's it for us. You've been listening to a Nashville podcast and you rebroadcast, retransmission, or count this game without the express written permission of Nashville Magazine is strictly prohibited. This podcast has been produced by the aforementioned incomparable Sarah Shitty. It makes us sound better than we deserve. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, MBD. Thanks to Babel and Bethlehem College. And thanks especially to all of you for listening. We're the editors. We'll see you next time.